Saturday, September 10th, has five Breeders' Cup Challenge Series win and you're in races with two more on Sunday. The two stateside races come to us from Kentucky Downs with a FanDuel Turf Sprint, a win and you're in for the Breeders' Cup Turf Sprint, as well as the Kentucky Turf Cup, a win and you're in for the Longines Turf. All winners will receive entry fees paid by Breeders' Cup, a $10,000 award to the nominator, and a $10,000 travel allowance for horses stabled outside of Kentucky. Coverage kicks off at 5 p.m. Eastern on CNBC with our own Matt Bernier on the team. And the other Challenge Series races come to us from across the pond with three stakes from Leopardstown on Saturday, September 10th, and the Curra with two more on Sunday, September 11th. Tune into FanDuel TV for coverage and to learn more. Go to breederscup.com. Hello and welcome to the In the Money Players podcast. This is our show for Friday, September 9th. I'm your host, Peter Thomas Fornatal, no longer in the Brooklyn Bunker. Was back there for about a hot second before heading down to Nashville, where I sit now. Was over at Kentucky Downs yesterday for my maiden voyage. We'll talk about that a little bit later on in the show. We've got a great show for you, covering racing action from across the nation. We've got Woodbine, we've the nation and and uh, you know North America really. We've got Woodbine, their big weekend coming up next week. We'll be talking about the last four races up there with Matt Vagvolgi and Drew Coatney. We're going to be talking Monmouth with Dallas Baker and Nick Tamaro. We will be looping in uh, some Kentucky Downs action, as noted, with Jack Jenkins. And there was no better way to start off this show than uh, a visit from Nick Luck, who will talk about uh, the Queen, Her Majesty the Queen, Queen Elizabeth II's legacy, and also tell us a little bit about uh, Irish Champions Weekend and the win and you're in action for the Breeders' Cup happening there. We're going to get to it all right after this. Today's show also brought to you by our friends at Canterbury Park, playing the largest Breeders' Cup betting challenge qualifier of the year. On Thursday, September 15th, the Big Ten BCBC Handicapping Contest at Canterbury Park. You can play online or through ExpressBet or TVG. It's a $2,000 live bankroll, $1,000 entry fee, 11 BCBC entries plus cash are to be awarded, and 100% of entry fees will be returned to players. The date, Thursday, September 15th. For more information on the contest, visit canterburypark.com. And also, don't forget that the weekend of September 17th and 18th, the nation's first and longest continuously running live bankroll handicapping contest. Now in its 26th year, the Dog Days of Summer contest will be happening only on track at Canterbury Park in that one, you can win entries to the National Horse Players Championship. For more information, visit canterburypark.com. First up on the show, a man we had booked to come on to speak about Irish Champions Weekend. And we'll get to that, but given the news of the last uh, 24 hours or so, we'll have a different topic that we're going to start off with. He's actually coming to us not too far from where I'm sitting in Nashville right now in for the weekend to cover Kentucky Downs and the Breeders' Cup uh, implications for our friends at NBC, where you've enjoyed his work over the years. You've also enjoyed his Nick Daly, uh, Nick Luck Daily podcast. The I, I think it's the most downloaded horse racing podcast in the world from what I can calculate. He is, of course, Nick Luck. Nick, how are things? Hello, Peter. Obviously, uh, coming here in difficult and sad circumstances, 
uh, always good to talk to you here on on this on this podcast. Uh, and when I I left Heathrow Airport yesterday, we knew there were grave concerns about the health of Her Majesty the Queen. And then uh, I was on a British Airways flight that was without communication to the ground, and the captain gave the news about half an hour before we before we landed in in Nashville. It was a, a the mood right around where I was was reflective of the mood of uh, of the nation, the Commonwealth and indeed the world, and, and one that is felt particularly keenly in, in our very small corner of it, Pete. Her Majesty the Queen was many things, not least from our selfish perspective on a horse racing media network, the most famous horse racing fan in the world. And we'll get to what the, some of the implications might be, but I just want to start off with my own uh, personal feelings, which are I'm really surprised. I mean, look, I'm not surprised that I'm sad. I think I'm surprised at how sad I am, and 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 this very unstable world, the 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 stability that that she provided, and and, and the, the 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 role that she played in in world events. I mean, what how much is this affecting the mood of of the country right now? From what you're hearing from from people back home, I think. It, it runs twofold. This first of all, uh, as a, a as a long-serving monarch, as the longest-serving monarch, um, Queen Elizabeth is is all as a head of state that most of us can remember. So that in itself is going to have a destabilizing effect when when she dies. And second, there there was enough that you saw to know that people would cleave to her personally as well as as a figurehead, and what you did see beneath what had to be necessarily inscrutable and you know somewhat distance the wrong word but but restrained often came so what you saw beyond that necessary dist uh, restraint and inscrutability often came in the confines of a racetrack right. which is why i think which is why i think uh people in horse racing feel it quite so so dearly and i think the connection to ask it to you, you to, to going there over the years and just seeing what she specifically meant to to that event and and how um it, it feels from an outsider perspective like in in some ways the sport in the uk revolved around her is that too strong it it's really incalculable the impact that that she had because she was the sport's number one fan in terms of profile for so long, you could argue there's any amount of influential people and um, leaders and dignitaries that, that became attracted to the sport because it was her, because it was her passion. And that is a passion that may well have transmitted to uh, a, a number of people in in the UK and, and around the world who didn't subsequently go on to have any ownership, but simply have inherited that fandom because the Queen being involved in racing has put racing more uh, more in the public eye than than it might otherwise have, have done. It doesn't seem that ostensibly her passion for the sport is necessarily shared by closest to family members. I think that's safe to say. What does it mean? It's so hard to get into what she meant to racing in England. And it's probably even harder to talk about where racing goes from here. But what are your early thoughts on either of those topics? Well, racing will racing will continue much as it has has continued. It is not as though she she was 
particularly involved in the in the warp and weft of running the sport, though she had great influence at Ascot, and and I've talked about her more more global influence. But, but I, you're right insofar as that it's going to be asking an awful lot of um, the the monarch now, King Charles, to carry on with the same sort of enthusiasm and vigor. That said, I, I do feel that that he and his his consort. Uh, Queen Consort Camilla will will understand the importance to the Queen and will want to to, to continue uh, to to a greater or lesser extent. And and certainly Camilla, who who was then the Duchess of Cornwall, now the Queen Consort, has had a number of horses run in her own name and colours in recent seasons and has shown an, an increasing interest in, in the sport. Of course, also uh, Her Majesty the Queen's daughter, the Princess Royal, Princess Anne. She's a, a very keen equestrian, uh, and it, she will know better than anybody what what this meant to her own mother. Uh, and Princess Anne's daughters are a Tyndall likewise. So, there, there there are elements within the family who are horsey enough and are interested enough to make you think that that there will be some level of continuity. I'd like to think that the, the, the certainly Royal Ascot itself. I mean, it's a it's a meaningful part of her her family legacy in a way that you know hopefully the event won't be. Uh, diminished with her passing is a, is that a reasonable hope? I think it's a reasonable hope. I mean, you've got to remember that the, the sport of horse racing, the modern sport of horse racing. When I say modern, I mean as distinct from medieval. What uh, was was founded by Charles II, Queen Anne. It was her idea that the horses should race on Ascot Heath in 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 the early 18th century. Edward the Seventh, at the beginning of the 20th century, was a monarch who was very keen on racing. They haven't all been, you know, it's, it's too much to expect. But but Queen Elizabeth II inherited from her own father a, a, a genuine interest and from her mother a real love of, of the horse and racing. Uh, Queen Elizabeth, the Queen Mother, who was a, a, a an extraordinary figure who was very passionate about steeplechasing as much as she was uh, uh, the flat racing. So so she inherited it from, from both sides of her family, um, uh, really. Well, we appreciate your perspective on this and, and it's... Uh... Yeah, just a, it's it's odd that something that is so logical that it would happen given the age that she was could could feel so um, earth shaking. But that's that's yeah. what, that's how it feels where I sit in a hotel room in in uh, in Nashville. Anyway. Yes, yes, and, and and paradoxically sitting in a hotel room in Goodlettsville, not too far away from you, um, it, it, you're you're absolutely spot on, and a number of people have said that. And I think that the paradox was that the longer her life continued the harder it became to imagine her not being there, the monarch, the head of state, guiding the country, guiding the Commonwealth um, with a with a, a quiet, uh, reassuring presence. Racing at Doncaster, this was a huge weekend there. Going to be, they, they, take, they, they canceled yesterday. They're not, or they canceled today. They're not running tomorrow. They will be running on on Sunday, a bit of a, of a super card. It sounds like, um, I, I would imagine that feels like an appropriate, uh, a tribute to at least have a, a couple of days off in, in mourning, but at the same time feels like something that she would have wanted for the, the, the not to, you know, miss a classic on her behalf. Uh, does this feel like an appropriate handling of the situation by, uh, by the industry? Feels entirely appropriate to me, uh, Pete. I, I know that there have been plenty of opinions voiced in the last few hours saying, "Well, what difference does it make if you have the if you have the tribute uh, on Sunday or Saturday?" And I, I think people just need to 
take a pause, take a breath, take the opportunity to um, let it sink in for the country. It's not going to do anybody harm, anybody any harm. It's not going to do the nation any harm just to have another day or two uh, to reflect. So, you know, a period of quiet reflection never does any of us any harm. And you, you take a take a long walk, go out with the dog, play with your kids, whatever. You you don't need you don't need horse racing tomorrow. It can it can wait till Sunday. There will be racing in Ireland that we do want to talk about while we have you here. Um, you know, obviously you're very connected with uh, with the Breeders' Cup, and there's five Breeders' Cup winning your in races in Ireland. And maybe a place to start is how important this meeting in particular, mm. these meetings, this weekend has become as pointers for the Breeders' Cup over the last several years. It, it feels as, as important really as any um, European meeting that we have in terms of sending horses over here. How did that, how did that come about? Is it, is it a quirk of the calendar or is, it, is there more to it than that? Well, three reasons, really. They consolidated Irish Champions Weekend. It was d disparate fixtures that came together with Leopardstown and the Curragh uh, coming on the same weekend, converging big money races. Timing-wise, perfect stepping stone. Really, now horses might take another run in between this and Breeders' Cup. If you're Aidan O'Brien, you might take another two or three, and he has done <laughs> with some horses over the years. Think of Found and others. But generally speaking, it's a it's a perfect, you know, it's a perfect springboard point. Um it sits for, and also it sits far enough away that you could run here and still run at the arc meeting you could still run here and run on champions day you can still run you know so it's it's a bit of a it's a bit of a gateway to the rest of the year in truth um and also and the o'brien factor as well we know how much aiden o'brien uh, venerates the, the the breeders cup and 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 and, and latterly dermot world as well and and they're going to love having runners at this fixture and love having runners at, at, at breeders cups I'd love to get some thoughts from you on the specifics of these races, either in terms of what you see a main storyline as or, or horse you're, you're particularly interested in for these races this weekend. Let's start with the Irish champion stakes of some, uh, some certainly uh, some, some pretty interesting runners turning up here. Some very interesting runners. This is the rematch from the Coral Eclipse between Videni and Mishrif. Mishrif doesn't have to give him quite so much weight because we're deeper in the season. Doesn't have to give the younger horse as much weight. Um, uh, and the betting, I, I think, it, it exaggerates what was between them in the Coral Eclipse. But what it probably is doing is factoring the potential for Videni to improve yet further, the younger horse. Whereas the received wisdom is that Mishrif uh, has is as good as we know he is now. The interesting point, though, is given that he was tardily away in the in the Coral Eclipse, and he was much slicker when he was well beaten by Baid at. at, at at York last time, it, it just does make you think that that evens and seven to two, the, the difference between their prices is a little big. And John Gosden and John Thady Gosden have gone for Colin Keane on Mishrif as well. Um, Videni is the right favourite, but I don't think he deserves that big a break over, over the rest of his market rivals. And of course, how close would his own compatriot, Ernesto, have got to him in the Prix de Jockey Club if he'd had any kind of a trip? Now, but only one by four or five. So you could say, well, but I think Ernesto would have finished a good second with a trip and has since come out and won the Grand Prix de Paris quite easily. So, again, I think Vedeni is a short enough price. Mishrif, in terms of the Breeders' Cup, we've had many different answers to this mm. question of the people I've asked. Which race do you think is the more likely target for him, the turf or the classic? <laughs> 
Um, if you'd asked me before last weekend, I'd have said if he was coming to the Breeders' Cup, they might have rolled the dice and shoved him in the Classic. Now, if you're gonna if you're gonna take a little bit of a punt, I know he's won on dirt, albeit different dirt in Saudi Arabia. Are you going to take that punt against a horse like Flight Line? <laughs> if you think you can win the lion's share of however many million dollars it is on the on the turf? Probably not. So if you're asking me now, I'd say maybe the turf is more likely. The trouble is it just stretches his stamina a shade, mile and a half. We'll see how it turns out on, on Saturday in the Irish Champion Stakes and what they choose to do. But it'd be great to have that star power, international star power mm -hmm. of Mishrif turning up on these shores. So hopefully one way or another, we'll get it. Let's talk about the Matron Stakes mm -hmm. here next, Nick. Well, the Matron Stakes is the race that is probably the most interesting one from a Breeders' Cup perspective, because in its two market leaders, you have two horses who are likely Breeders' Cup bound. It is a win in your in not in the mile division, but in the filly and mare turf division, even though it's a mile race. And Saffron Beach for Jane Chapel, Hyam and Holly Doyle is likely to run in the Breeders' Cup filly and mare turf. Jane doesn't really want her taking on the boys. She'd rather keep her to her own sex. And she does get a bit further than this as well. She's very tough. She's adaptable as regards conditions. And she'll lay down a really good, strong, solid marker as to what homeless songs this three-year-old um, has achieved if she beats her. Homeless songs we haven't seen since she absolutely marmalized um, inferior opponents in the Irish 1000 guineas. It's considered that she needs a, an ease in the ground, a cut in the ground, not because she can't win on fast, faster ground, but because it's just to kind of keep her structurally in one piece, to use Dermot Weld's words. And um, if she comes to the Breeders' Cup, I would have thought she would come to the mile, Homeless Songs. Um, and he, even though he's got those concerns about ground, he does seem to be fancying the idea of coming to Keeneland. You want to forget about Tenebrism either, nor Pearls Galore, who's a talented filly on her day. Tenebrism is very good, but, you know, a stiff mile just, just stretches it. It'd be fun to be able to see those top two in the market from there come over. Hopefully that's going to I think, I think if you're looking at this at the moment, I would think the top five in the market would all be possibles to turn up at the Breeders' Cup? Oh, that's great. I mean, this is racing, just to emphasize for our viewers who might not be that familiar with international racing, this is stuff you want to pay attention to if you're going to be playing the Breeders' Cup in uh, in a couple of, yeah, couple of months' time. You do, you do, you do. This is an important weekend. Let's talk about the other win in your in-race on Saturday, the KPMG Champions Juvenile Stakes, a, a short field, but some interesting runners in here. How about this pedigree on the favorite, Nick? Yeah, it's a. this is a, a, a really interesting little race. Uh, Auguste Rodin is the, the horse that you're referring to. Colt by Deep Impact. We like that, and we like it a lot, out of a very good Galileo mare called Rhododendron, which makes him... Uh, out of a sister to Magical and from one of Coolmore's very best families. Rhododendron herself was a, a group one winner, a, a multiple group one winner. And so if this horse inherits any of the family talent, he ought to be very useful indeed. His run at Nace last time when he beat a horse of Joseph's called Shadowed was very good. And the interesting thing is that they were content to let him stride along with the benefit of just the one run under his belt. And they had done on his debut as well. You know, they've, they've been riding this horse positively and prominently in the manner that they think he's a tough horse who stays a distance um, pretty effectively. Um, interesting runner. I don't think he wants the ground too soft on that pedigree. 
but uh, but we shall see. He's uh, he's a he's a very interesting prospect. Who might make more appeal on on softer ground, which it probably will be. We should note there's been plenty of rain in Ireland. Uh, I if it turns into a real war, I think Jim Bolger's horse will outrun his odds. A horse called Serious Challenge. He uh, did for one of Aidan's quite well touted horses, Higher Waffer, uh, in. A, a race not as good as this at Galway last time, but he did it in very tenacious fashion. And he's going to have an impact in, on the race because he's going to get out and get up front and start messing messing all the others around, I think. He's a gelded horse. He, I think they'll send him, and I, I think he'll expose any frailties in in slightly less hardened um, hardened horses. I think Serious Challenge is the one that I'd be at uh, with at the prices. He's currently around about a 7-1 to one shot. Could you see uh, some participation from this race in a race like the Breeders' Cup Juvenile Turf? Don't see why not. That would be uh, that would be fantastic. I mean, really, um, you know, again, short field, but some very interesting runners. Mm. Let's give it to the two winning your in races at the Curra on Sunday, starting with the Flying Five. Some familiar names in here for sure. Yeah, I mean, Highfield Princess is the is the horse around whom this race revolves because she's coming here off the back of two really impressive wins in in Group 1 company. The first of those came over six and a half furlongs at Deauville when she beat the subsequent impressive Haydock Park Sprint Cup winner, Minzal. Nothing not to like about that form. And then she dropped down a furlong and a half. You don't see many horses in Europe going six and a half to five at that level and proving equally effective at both distances. Bear in mind, she was finishing second to Space Blues over seven last year. She's an incredibly versatile mare. She's very tough. She's had nearly 30 runs in two years, so she can take the racing. Um, and the only surprise was maybe they didn't put her in at Haydock last weekend as well. Probably probably a good job they didn't. She's the what she's the what if she turns up in the form she was in when she won the Nunthorpe at York, she'll win. But it's a question of whether that's that's left any kind of a any kind of a mark. And it's a question now whether having won twice really impressively on very fast ground whether she'll come back for whether she'll recoil in any way for getting ease underfoot it was always considered she wanted ease underfoot but i think now we have to look at her as a very different filly she ought to be favorite for the breeders cup turf sprint as things stand she and for, sounds like a likely runner too yeah she's a she's a runner if she if she's fit she'll run um but that a few of these could as well i mean i think uh, a case of you is almost certainly going to come back he ran very well in the breeders cup turf sprint last year I think Emiratiana, who ran well again the other day at Haydock, I'd say he'll probably come back. I wouldn't be surprised if Romantic Proposal was there, Munista, Razel. They're all horses who could conceivably uh, have a go at the turf sprint. Flotus as well. Let's talk about the other uh, two-year-old race. We've got the the Moyglare stakes for the two-year-old fillies and uh, a, a big name headlining here in uh, in Meditate. Is, is this race as simple as her? She's a wonderful filly, I think. Uh, she's she's four for four. They've given her plenty of experience. She won easily at Royal Ascot. And then she came out and won the debutante stakes at, at the Curra. The runner-up in that race uh, was uh, Olivia Moralda, who's a pretty smart horse. And she was always, I thought, just toying with her. Although the margin of victory wasn't particularly special, I thought really she was toying with her. My only issue is I don't think she wants the ground too soft. She's a no-nay-never. And I think that would... Um, play somewhat against her chance, um, or at least it may, would make me not want to back her at odds on. And she is up against a once raced, once victorious, impressive on debut sister or half sister to T Tarnawa 
in Tahira. So, and with Dermot Wells horses turning the corner now, she makes a bit of appeal at the odds. That's interesting. And again, very likely you think we'd see uh, one or two out of here come across to these shores. What do you think? Yeah, quite conceivably. I mean, it's it's a big year for No Name Never. He's already done it with Little Big Bear and Blackbeard and this Philly Meditate. I would be surprised if Aiden didn't want some No Name Never representation at the Breeders' Cup. Um, yeah. All right. We'll be bothering you much more for uh, your thoughts ahead of the Breeders' Cup. Folks can watch you this weekend covering live from Kentucky Downs. I think you'll have Matt Bernier back in the studio. Are you with Eddie O out there on, on Saturday? Is that yeah, he, I think he's, he's he may even be in town. I'm, I, if he's not, I think he gets in today. So I, I th this is as much as I've seen. I arrived here <laughs> at about 8.30 last night uh central and obviously i just heard the news drove here sat down preparing uh material for for today's podcast and uh obviously i wanted to finish and voice the uh, obituary for racing tv which which we've just done so um and then various you know various commitment broadcast commitments so i uh i, I i'm now going to exit the the four walls of this uh hotel room <laughs> And, uh, and go and see what Kentucky Downs is like. I think that's wise. It's a wild place. I think you're going to really, I, I can't wait to hear what you think of it, actually. And we'll get, we'll sure get that perspective on the Nick Luck Daily podcast. And we'll look for that racing TV tribute. And we'll obviously uh, be looking forward to all the content you're producing on a, on a daily basis. Nick, thank you so much in a busy day and a sad day to take some time out to come and yap with us. Always. Thanks, Pete. Good stuff. Thank you, my friend. Horsemen, handicappers, and racing fans won't want to miss a single day of the seven-day fan duel meet at Kentucky Downs this September. Owners and trainers will compete for the world's richest overnight purses, and horse players will enjoy the best betting opportunities in America with large fields and low takeout. Thanks to the Kentucky Thoroughbred Development Fund, registered Kentucky breads will run for $150,000 in maiden races, with allowance races starting at $160,000. The 17 stakes totaling $10.7 million include eight graded stakes, where four days down with three to go at Kentucky Downs, remaining dates being this Saturday and Sunday, the 10th and the 11th, and then next Wednesday, the 14th as well. If you can get there, and I encourage you to do so, you can buy reserved seats at KentuckyDowns.com. Also a reminder that Sunday is the concluding handicapping contest at Kentucky Downs, part of the, the three contest series, but you can just participate in this one. $800 and loads of prizes. The entries have been huge. You're going to be at least 2BC, BC, 3NHC, um, but there's going to be more than that, I'll bet you, just based on the participation. You can play on TVG. You can play on ExpressBet. You can reach out to Brian Skirka at Monmouth Park if you have any questions. He's helping them out with these Kentucky Downs contests. And again, for more info on all this, go to KentuckyDowns.com. Next up on the show, one of the people we turn to when we talk to, about Kentucky Downs. We're talking about Kentucky Downs more this year on the network than we ever have before. I've really been enjoying it, really like my maiden voyage out to the place yesterday. And I uh, wish I was sticking around for the weekend. But alas, got to get back to New York. Too much stuff going on. Transitioning back from two months away in Saratoga to spend the weekend down here in Nashville as much as I'd like to. But uh, a man who spent plenty of time down in this part of the world, currently coming to us uh, from another spot in, uh, in in Tennessee. He is Jack Jenkins. Jack, what's going on, man? Good morning, Pete. 
How are y'all doing this morning? I see. I see. I, I wasn't sure that the print was small enough. I wasn't sure if you were going to troll me with Atlanta Braves stuff. It's getting tight up there in the NL East. How are you? How are you feeling? You're going oh, to. We're looking forward to it. You finish the job that you've started here, taking down my Mets, or are we going to dig in and re rally? Well, it's September. You know how the Mets are in September. Once, <laughs> once the calendar, once the calendar changes, it's. Uh... That was like 15 years ago, to be fair, yeah. but it, it it was bad. Yeah, it's going to be a battle. It just. It depends on the Mets starting pitching, I think, if they stay healthy. Well, right. And the Scherzer thing, hopefully, yeah. is temporary from from a Mets point of view. Even if the Mets are the wild card, they're still the team that nobody wants to play. I contend that. Oh, we'll, yeah. No doubt. We'll see, how it, we'll see how it turns out. On the racing front, how has you been in the back half now at the Kentucky Downs meet? How have your first four days gone? Three and a half, really. Well, not as good Not as good as uh, I'd like for it to be. I started the meet kind of – as we mentioned in the first uh, podcast we done, I, I was kind of handicapping for some of those closers to do a little bit better than they done. And it's the course is played, you know, pretty fair and everything, but it it hasn't been a lot of closers winning. You know, it's been more speed stalkers types than, you know, Mike Maker, uh, who, you know, usually does well up there. He had a little bit of a chilly year last year, especially starting out. And he's been on fire, you know, and, public's picking up on that and yesterday i unlike you i didn't get i didn't get a chance yesterday i was driving to memphis and everything i didn't get a chance to get too involved yesterday but looking to fire up for for this big weekend here i may end up there uh, before the weekend's over we've got six stakes on this card we're mainly going to be talking about the last five of them which make up an all stakes pick five but we do have the rescheduled Mint Million, which I know you had a quick thought on, that goes as race five. Let's start there. Well, this race was redrawn uh, from a from an earlier card that was canceled because of weather. And uh, there's a couple, you know, that decided to run that wasn't originally entered. And they really could change the outcome of this race. Before, I, there wasn't a whole lot of speed entered in the race. But now, Makers brought down some like at Hot Brown getting Jose Ortiz. The horse was a surprise winner in a three-horse off the turf, uh, August 26th at, at Saratoga in the, for New York Breads. Uh, he was kind of dismissed as the third choice in that race. Uh, he showed he can, you know, run on the dirt too, which he rated much more kindly than his previous start on August the 6th at Saratoga. He just, he just completely ran off with, with Irad. But he comes right back with Jose Ortiz. I, I look for him to control this race and, and maybe maybe be tough in here. Yeah, I could see that for sure. He is a battle-tested performer, that's for sure, this uh, six-year-old New York bred, and certainly his presence in the race looks to, looks to change it to some degree. Any other thoughts on the Mint Million, or should we jump ahead to uh, race number eight, the ladies' turn? Yeah, no, I just look, it looks like a good you know betting race. I, they have pixelated number two. With Joel Rosario listed at five to one, I think he's going to come down off that. Um, you know, the horses. You know, he won. He he won this race last year easily uh, with Rosario. I think that that really is going to stand out to the betting public. So I almost kind of look for him to to maybe go to maybe go favorite in there. Might be able to make the market for a runner like some like at Hot Brown. Let's pivot ahead to race number eight which is the Kentucky ladies turf for these uh, Phillies and mares three and up going a mile on the turf. We've got a big field of 10 going postward. 
What do you like in here, Jack? I landed on the number three. Hindy Woods is mainly a value play. I could even see her drifting up from that nine to two morning line. Get Julian Leperoux. Julian's really rode, rode well this summer. Uh, limited opportunities at Saratoga. Uh, but, he, you know, he, he really made the most of it. And he's been riding well here at Kentucky Downs, too. I think Hindy Woods could – I don't think she's going to be that far back. I'm not sure she can set the pocket. But I, I look for her to, uh, to really kind of trip out in here and hopefully – Hopefully make a run at the two favorites, uh, the number one, Delica, who's controlling speed, is coming off um, the grade one win at, you know, the Beverly D at, at Churchill. And then the number eight, who's going to take plenty of action in here, that uh, who chased Delica last time, Princess Grace, with Florent aboard. Uh, those two, I think, is going to take most of the money uh, in the betting. But I'm hoping Hindy Woods may be able to, to snatch them late. I feel the same way. I have Hendy Woods on top. I love the fact that she ran a career best over this course last year and agree that she could get a good setup. Timeform has it, Delica just alone on the lead, but I think there's others in here who could show some speed and keep her honest. I'll probably do a backup line with Delica in case she does get loose and also with Princess Grace, who, who did beat Delica in this race last year. But Hendy Woods, I agree, looks like the value and I think could be interesting and might not be as far back or as compromised as the time form U.S. pace projector makes it seem. Let's move on to one of the win and you're in races on this card, the grade two FanDuel turf sprint stakes, another million dollar race for three and up going six furlongs on the turf. And you've got a big favorite in here who looks like a clear play. If he takes to the course, that's the 12 arrest me red. But I thought there was a wise guy case to be made for the nine front run the fed who ran his best career race by far in this race last year. Granted, it was a little boggy, but there is rain in the forecast for Saturday morning. Hopefully it'll clear off by the time we get to the uh, to the afternoon races. Um, and also, I just thought when you look at closing sectionals and when you look at the cutback for front run the Fed, they're both things I think that are going to make him outrun these 15 to 1 morning line odds. I'm not sure if the 15 to 1 is accurate uh, or not, but you know, even at anything at eight to one or higher. I definitely would want to have plenty of front run the fed on my tickets and yet nothing against the 12 arrest me red other than potentially a short price. How do you see this one, Jack? Yeah, I landed on the number uh, seven Gregorian chant as a, you know, just a real value play here. Uh, I think maybe I'm hopeful that we get the 10 to one morning line. Uh, I was kind of like you, I was a little dubious on this morning line. I, I just don't see the number 10 totally boss. Uh, going off at, at 12 to 1. I think he's going to uh, take much more action than that. And even the number 11 uh, with a hot Safi Joseph barn, I don't think that horse is going to be 15 to 1. You know, I do think uh, the number 12, Resme Red, will be favorite. That's kind of a tough post, but he's going to be out there, you know, right on the lead. So, I, you know, he, it, he should be able to overcome that as the high weight. But I really like Gregorian Chan, Chan here, uh, like I said, as a value play. You know, Phil D'Amato uh, looks like he's been, really, you know, setting on this horse and pointing, prepping for this race. Gets Jose Ortiz, which, you know, really rides well at Kentucky Downs. Uh, he should be able to set a nice little mid-pack trip. And um, 
I'm, I think he's definitely got the quality to get the job done here. He's a, I just, I've always really liked this horse. Super, super classy runner. Who do you like to go with Gregorian Chant here potentially, or is it really just a, a singular focus on him? Yeah, I like him as a value play, but I think you got to use the outside runners. You know, totally balls has a has a big win at Kentucky Downs. He's he's always right there. He's been a top turf sprinter for you know the past three or four years. Um, I've done I've I've had a nice uh, couple of scores on him in the past. He's he's a he's a favorite old uh, horse of mine. Chasing Artie's not without a chance, like I mentioned for Ken, you know, for Ken Ramsey and Savvy Joseph. And you know you you just have to use a resume red in some in some fashion here if you're if, if you want to uh, you know play this pick five seriously with Irad Ortiz and West Ward. I mean it's just hard to chuck it's hard to chuck that horse as the favorite as much as I want to maybe try to get him out of the exacta or something. He you know you you gotta you gotta use him in your multi race bets. Let's move to race number 10, another win in your in race. This one, the Kentucky Turf Cup, grade two, mile and a half. And Jack, we'll throw this back to you for uh, your thought on this one. Yeah, I was kind of surprised to see um, Gufo enter. Yes. Uh, you know, quick turnaround. But he's, you know, he's danced all the dances this summer. I mean, he's running every, every big race. Uh for marathon turf marathoners that they've carded this this summer, you know, Man of War, Manhattan, the UN at Monmouth, the Sword Dancer. I was, you know, I was up there, uh, you know, at Sar Saratoga for Travers Day, and it's just like the way they were betting. It was just one of those things, is you know, it was like they know, you know, and, he, <laughs> and they knew he he, you know, he ran well and got the job done was with Rosario, and he's. You know, he's listed as a seven to five morning line favorite here. Then, you know, it's hard to argue with. You know, he's um he's kind of a win machine, won almost two million dollars. Um, but you have to respect the old man Arklow. I mean, this is um he's got he's got four four career starts at Kentucky Downs. He's been super impressive uh in a in a few wins there, just missed in this race last year. Brad Cox shipped him up to Saratoga, got a nice prep. He, he ran re really well, just missing the Rock Emperor uh, last time. And that was off of a long layoff. And I look for him to, to move up. You know, Florence ridden this horse so many times over the years. Knows him really well. So, I, you know, I, I kind of give him a, a slight edge over, over Gaffo here. Four six, you're gonna stick into the top of the market here in the turf. Cup. Yeah, well, I, there's another horse I'll mention as a value play that I'm going to throw in. Throw in, Brian Lynch does really well at Kentucky Downs, and admission office number seven. I really think he's been up against it in his last two uh, last two starts. Um, the, that you know that turf course last time at, at Kentucky Downs. I was there that day in person, and it just seems like they were running on a on a on a rug that was slipping out from under them. It just looked like so many horses just were not handling that turf course, and they just you know they kind of ran around there, and both you know in both of the stakes races, yeah, not a lot of passing, and he was last in a slow pace the race before that, in a in a small five horse field at Belmont. 
this horse has relished this distance in the past. And although he, I wish he had a, you know, at least a one or two career starts at Kentucky Downs. I mean, you get Hall of Famer John Velasquez. I really think if you could get a horse like this home in the slate pick five, he could really juice things up. And I, I think he's good enough to get the job done. Four, eight, and seven. I said the number wrong of Gufo before. Four, eight, and seven for Jack there. I I won't really rehash the case on Arklo and Gufo. They're just very, very obvious um, I'll just, I will underline that the, the trouble that Arklow had last time too, really. I mean, and if you wanted to throw just one more in, I mean, I think the best out of the Mike, the Mike Maker trio would be the number three temple with Jose Ortiz. I mean, Mike's is just, you know, his barn's on fire right now. And it's just, uh, it's almost, you know, you, it's hard to let a guy like that beat you. Yeah. I'm with you. I actually put temple on top with the thought of trying to get some value and I just think that that UN was a pretty nice race, closing well, seemingly against the flow. Form of that race working out very well. Three next out winners. Temple hasn't done his best work at Kentucky Downs, but that could be circumstantial. And when the barn is flying like this, I I, I have no problem including, and I wouldn't be surprised if you get north of six to one in this spot because those other two are going to take so much money at the top of the market. I do think his Kentucky Downs uh, races are uh, a bit circumstantial on that. You know, we're – you, people are the public's going to see that he's over three there. I think it's only going to help his price. A couple yeah. of those were at uh, much shorter distances uh, from his best. And, you know, like, uh, you made a good point there. All right. Excellent. So another one to, uh, to potentially get into the mix as well with Temple. And let's move on to race number 11. This is where my opinions start to get really boring. I'll just throw that out there right now. In the ladies sprint, this grade three for three and up Phillies and Maris going six and a half on the turf. My old favorite, uh, Campanelli, is in here. And I just think if she runs her race and she's shown she's been adaptable, succeeding at the Group 1 level internationally, I, I just think if she runs her race, they're all running for second. Is it as simple as Campanelli in the ladies' sprint? Well, she sure looks like a strong A to me also. I had a hard time getting around her. Uh, you know, I think she's going to be much, even much shorter than the 8 to 5. I could see 4 to 5 on her in here. You know, you get Irad. West Ward, she's just she's so good when she you know when she runs her runs her best race and I you know it's just she she sort of looks like she you know you could see her winning this race by four right a couple I will mention um, you know that both fifteen to one on the morning line both really classy mares uh, the number six Toby's Hart Brian Lynch she's going to be running late. You know, she always brings her run. Super cool Philly to watch run. And I kind of – I gave a look to the number seven, She Can't Sing, for Chris Block. You know, she, she's got – she's got races that, that fit here. And, you know, she should – she should set a nice little trip here. And, you know, those are, those are the two I'll be using as backups. Uh, can't fault anyone for using like you know Star Divine or a few others in here, but I'm with you. I think if Campanelli uh, shows up and brings her best, they're they're going to be running for second. All right, let's move on to our nightcap where we've got the uh, Grade Two Franklin Simpson Stakes six and a half on the turf for these three year olds. We're paying this all stakes late pick five at Kentucky Downs. Jack, how are we getting paid? Wow! Once again, we have an, we have another favorite to deal with, who's just 
this horse has just turned into an absolute win machine. What is he won seven in a row? I think for Christophe Clement, number six, big invasion. Another eight to five morning line favorite that I could easily see being odds on. Jojo Rosario. I mean, this horse has just absolutely done nothing wrong this um, this this year. Anything to run with, or is it as simple as just singling? Big you know, one thing that did jump out at me. Uh, the number two for Todd Pletcher, you get Taff, uh, Tyler Gaffley on. Chanso, am I saying that right? Yeah, Chanso. Yeah. Um, you know, he's drawn the rail in his last three starts, and this horse just looks to be kind of begging for a cutback. You know, son of Spotstown. Um, a lot of those are better better going short. So I, I kind of gave him a look on the cutback. You know, if I – and maybe I'll tie the – you know, play a nice uh, – Six two exacta or something like that, but I, you know I'll throw him in on a backup ticket or uh, or two for the pick five. He was a, you know he was about the only other one that I could that kind of caught my eye in this spot. I had a lot of trouble. Big invasions and stuff. Yeah. He's a, big invasion is tricky. A horse is won under a variety of pace scenarios and just look the fastest horse by some way. I was going to keep it real simple and just try to you know get a price in. A little bit earlier, and then maybe just hit these two favorites on on the end. I think we'll have yeah, in a in a week three year old turf division, big invasion's just been you know he's been a he's just been a standout this year, and you know although he's been sprinting, I, I'd like to kind of see him maybe even try longer. I could see it. Certainly didn't run significantly worse in the seven furlong try at Belmont, but this is a horse that looks very dangerous for a race like the Breeders' Cup Turf Sprint, doesn't he? Yeah, I mean, I I'm not sure how much success three-year-olds have had in that race over the years, um, just, you know, right here on the spot. But, yeah, I mean, I would think he would he would fit. He would fit well. At Keeneland, you know, uh, five and a half sometimes they, you know, they can close there. So, you know, it, it, would, it may be set up well for him. Jack, thank you so much. Maybe we'll bring you back for one more Kentucky Downs show before it's all said and done. Really appreciate all your contributions. All right, Pete. Go Braves. We've been very happy all season to be working with our friends at Monmouth Park. They're back this weekend, first post Saturday and Sunday at 12.15. Also coming up soon at Monmouth, September 17th, they've got the half a million dollar now, now, now stakes for two-year-olds on the turf. Potential clues for the Breeders' Cup Juvenile Turf in that one. That's been a very good race the last couple of years. On these shows, we typically go over the win early pick five, usually the nation's earliest pick five. But you also know when we talk about Mama Park, we very often talk about fixed odds betting. And today's show is also brought to you by our friends at the Betmakers with fixed odds betting back in full effect at Monmouth Park. Great returns so far for horse players. 70% of winners paying more on fixed odds than they are on the tote. Fixed odds wagering now available throughout the state. And that's just going to continue to expand when the app gets launched in the not too distant future. This is an exciting new way to bet that really puts the power to get value in your hands because the odds you bet are the odds you get. You're going to continue to hear a lot more about fixed odds betting opportunities across the In The Money Media Network. Next up on the show, we take a visit north of the border to Woodbine in Toronto, a place where I will be next week. Very excited about Woodbine Mile and all the extra coverage we're going to have for their Super Saturday next weekend. They have moved the summer in the Natalma often on Sunday back to Saturday. So we're going to have tons of stakes action. Really looking forward to getting back up there. Haven't been since 2019 little road weary but you, you know matt vagvolgi before we came on air was ready to break out the world's smallest violin for me. We'll, we'll start by introducing him a man who travels around the world plenty himself 
He's here to help us look at this Woodbine Saturday card through the lens of Racelens, the powerful handicapping project product of which he is a power user. I already said his name. Matt Fagvolji, what's going on, buddy? How are you? I'm good, Pete. I'm good. It's kind of uh, the sleepy days a little bit. Not much uh, not much going on, but there is, right? You think there's nothing going on, then you start to look around, you find there's uh, there's quite a bit going on in the horse racing world, quite a bit going on in uh, the football world. So uh, there's no... Uh, there's no time to uh, no time to pause. So lots to do, and uh, no, it's uh, it's it's tough to be beyond uh, Saratoga and to see potentially uh, Del Mar get uh, washed out. It looks like this weekend, unfortunately, but uh, hopefully, I don't know things will change and it'll be better. But uh, but uh, yeah, on, onward and upward, Pete. There's always stuff to look at. We've got a show planned for Del Mar on Sunday with Billy and Michelle that we're meant to record Saturday. How bad is the forecast looking at? It, again, we'd have to, uh, you know, send out the bat signal to our uh, in the money uh, meteorologist to get a better report. But uh, uh, it doesn't look good. It looks like that hurricane is going to slam uh, uh, Southern California. So, again, I, I don't know. I'm not. I'm, that's not what I do. I'm pretending to be one right now. It's uh, not what I do. But it look, doesn't look very good. Not a meteorologist, but occasionally plays one on the in the money. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Let's bring in the man we turn to for all things Woodbine. It was oh, sort of. We might have missed a trick not getting him up to Woodbine next week for what I think would be his maiden voyage. Nobody on our network has paid more attention to Woodbine over the course of the last several years than our own business manager, Drew Coatney. Drew, when are you going to make your maiden voyage uh, to the Great White North? I told you there's a helicopter pad out, out front. If you want to land, we can find space for that helicopter to come grab me. So, yeah, yeah, up here in northern Michigan, it's a little hard to uh, to make those trips right now. So. Hopefully, when we settle down, uh, uh, we'll be able to find uh, find a flight up there to, to hang out if it's Woodbine Mile Day or otherwise. Um, so, yeah, I'm excited for the next weekend. We're going to have some great racing and even some good races this weekend that I think may be clues into some bigger stakes races later on. I know Cassie has a runner in, uh, in the nightcap uh, that we'll talk about that could be potentially a powerhouse. So I'm excited and uh, ready to ready to start talking some picks. We will look to do some bankroll building, that's for sure. Though before I let you go, and we should have we should have gotten the visual aid to go along with this, but you sort of shocked me showing me a picture that you saw from your backyard up there oh, yeah. in northern Michigan. Not a place people typically associate with seeing the northern lights, you know, maybe northern Minnesota or something. But yeah, you I mean, I was shocked. That would just look that must have just been so awesome to get to see that that far south. Yeah, we got absolutely lucky. Um, there have been a couple showings that were supposed to happen that never transpired. And just sitting out by bonfire, 1130 or 12, and boom, here they go. I mean, it's just like something out of this world where you're like, wait, what? what's going on over the horizon type of thing? Um, and we even got to see one midair that shows the curvature of the earth glowing. I mean, it was some neat stuff. And, and we had the monarch migration happening as well. Uh, which was cool to to see some of those uh, monarchs just hanging out on you. And, and uh, yeah, it was a great, great uh, outdoors day over the weekend for us. We'll see if some of those butterflies can bring you luck when it comes to the last four races at Woodbine on Saturday. And it starts off with race number seven. We've got a stake for three-year-olds on the turf going one mile. The Toronto Cup stakes, 125000 in the pot. Matt Fagvolji will throw this one open to you. Anything you see in here? That you're particularly interested in vis-a-vis -vis traditional handicapping or the race lens product 
Um, I, I, you know, I think there's going to be some pace in this race. So I, I do, I do think there's going to be some speed up front. Um, you know, especially going a mile on the turf at, uh, at Woodbine, you want to look for some off the pace type, which again, obvious with pace, but you know, again, more, more often in terms of the numbers, um, I, I went towards the inside, went to the one church town. I also looked at the number six, uh, luck man as well. Two horses that, uh, have the top two, uh, triple digit late pace uh, figures uh, from Equibase. Again, in the true odds feature there, click on late pace. You'll organize it for you to show who's got the best. Um, those two, I, I like the most. I would say I probably lean a little bit towards uh, the one a bit, but there are there are some things that I like, especially with Luckman, the six. I love Dice K getting on this horse. So this is the exact horse I love him on. Uh, again, kind of, I don't know if it's a host fail or guest fail, I would say. Wanted to run that number and I just forgot to do it. Of looking at the, the jockey switch to Dice K on a horse that's a sustained runner with a top late pace figure. Uh, I'm sure they're they're outrageous. I could be wrong, but it's the type of horse I, I like to see him on. Um, I think we'll be a little bit closer. I think the, the fear is too far off the pace. I think Dice K will put this horse a little bit more into the race. So I do like uh, Luckman quite a bit. But but the, you know the, the one uh, uh, Churchtown as well. You look at uh, Atfield, you know, 30% off off a win, you know, $3.90 ROI there. And he's also 22% in stakes races this year. So those are going to be the A's for me. I'm also going to back up uh, with the two as well. Uh, Mannix, again, I, I think probably better races are on synthetic, but I, I think fits here uh, on, on the turf. And then I'm also going to throw in a bomb that's going to be towards the front end, which is the seven-day day tripper. Again, not in love with, with speed in this race, but – this horse has proven to get to the front end, sustain hot fractions, and stay. So that's I do like that. Uh, we'll have that as as a as a B. So one in six A's for me, two and seven on the B line. And remind me, the top pick came at the six, though, not the one. Uh, I would I'd probably put yeah. Let's, let's put the six as as a topic. Probably gonna get a better price uh, on on the six than I am on the inside. And uh, yeah, I I lean. It's very tough though. I'd say one six in terms of your betting. I, I I'm gonna group those two together. If I had to pick, I'd say I'd take the six. Gotcha. The old feet to the fire trick. Drew, let's bring you in for your thought on race seven. Yeah, I love some of those angles, Matt, that you were going with that got my eye drawn to some horses. Um, but I'm actually top pick the number seven day tripper. Did some replay work, and I think the light bulb went off on turf, right? You see about a dozen maiden races and then finally breaking the maiden over the turf on this uh, surface, the one-turn outer mile. And did it absolutely professionally. Go back and watch that replay through back. This horse took back from the loose leader. So you see a bunch of ones in the PP lines. Uh, actually stalked a loose leader. And then as if like a workout, workman-like, just carried on and continued to run well. And then backed that up again with an optional claimer win. And then got into two deeper waters. I think, I think Day Tripper will be a great presser style and won't be caught on the lead but letting others go do the dirty work and then run late so the number seven for me day tripper at 15 to one can't beat it and david bell is firing uh, quite well with uh four winners four places and two shows out of 16 runners uh, can't really beat that so the number seven day tripper for me i think this one's ready i will be surprised if we see 15 to one based on some of the replay work i saw it looks like even with the figures fitting that 15 to one seems like a gift. If we can get anything over eight to one, take that to the bank. All the right. other horse I'm going to be using is the number one church town. Same reasons as mentioned above. I think it's going to get a great uh, stocking trip and just close in. So two horses for me, pretty light, both A's, the seven and the one to kick things off. 
All right. And yeah, there is, you can make an excuse. I mean, I, it was such a bad run. It's hard to make too much of an excuse, but day tripper last time, at least that was against the uh, older allowance foes just sort of popped and stopped now back in against three-year-olds. Very interested when you both make good cases for a horse, that's going to be 15 to one. Let's move to race number eight. We've got a valuable maiden special weight for two-year-olds on the synthetic going six and a half. Drew, we'll keep it with you. Yeah, I, I didn't fall in love with this race. And I'm going to go with Keen Flatter at 8-5. to five. I think that's the best figures, some speed. And last out was outkicked by a horse that was stalking that one and just was with the pace flow. The contender was with the pace flow. So Keen Flatter was against it. So I think number four, Keen Flatter, makes a lot of sense. But I'll be using two backups, the number three, Forrest Buzz, 4-1. to one. Uh, not a great first-time starter but, uh, for the trainer, but looks to be really sharp and informed. And then also the number eight, uh, Celentano. Uh, we'll go with that. Um, That's the seven. Time. Oh, sorry. Is it? Yes. Oh, yep. seven. Seven. Sorry. Seven. Eight to one in the morning line. Uh, JK yeah. and I both suffer from that. So <laughs> <laughs> the number seven, uh, speed and faded last out and gets Lasix this time and, and was running against uh, – Keen flatter. So we'll see what happens was, was well, well bet. And I think there might be some signal there too, that maybe this horse needed that run and gets Lasix today as well. Maybe able to turn the tables on Keen flatter, but uh, I'm going to side with Keen flatter on top. So four is an a three and seven as backups. Don't love the race. We'll try and get out with a little bit of a spread here. Matt, what do you think? You have a, any stronger opinion than drew here and what numbers did you land on? No, I'm similar. It's it's usually in a race where I see the horses that have run that have had a few tries. I like to go elsewhere and look for some uh, some first time starters, look for some pedigree. I don't find it really in here, uh, to be honest. So I did default to the four keen flatter as well. Again, I just I like that last race. I just think a repeat of that last race probably gets it done here. Um, I did also include again another horse that's run. I'll give another shot on the um, on the synthetic is uh, is the six uncaptured moment. I uh, thought that was a decent run. It's going to have to run. You're going to have to, you know, step up a bit here with this field. But I, I like to give that horse another another shot. Um, and I also included the three. So I'm going to go four sixes A's. I'm going to back up with the three, as Drew mentioned, uh, Forrest Buzz. The one thing I will add there, uh, the damn Honey Harbor's 18% on all weather sprints, 50% uh, in the money, and a positive 71% ROI. So, the, you know, there, there's some pedigree there in terms of those all weather sprints on the dam side. Uh, with the three, but a very difficult race, but I'm going to try to get by with the uh, four sixes A's and a three is B. Real quick. I, I just had something to add. It's something I've noticed this year at Woodbine for whatever reason. And I don't know if it's trainer related. And if anyone can dig up the stats, I feel like there are more bullet workouts or fast, sharp workouts by horses that just cannot show it in the afternoon. And I, I don't know if that's the uh, product of the training track or how trainers train really holding back and then letting, you know, a couple horses go. Uh, don't worry about trying to go 46 flat out. So I, would, I, I don't know if you guys have picked up on that, but I think, I think we'll be able to see with Forrest Buzz whether or not this one shows up, but I just keep getting burned by it over and over again. So I'll leave on the backup ticket, but I just wanted to call that out that for whatever reason, the Woodbine training track has been flattering some of those mornings. Interesting. Yeah, I mean, it's funny. I've seen some statistical studies of just workout tab. And the thing that I always come back to is that fat, the fast five furlong work seem to be the ones that have signal. And I'm not sure that too much else does. But I don't know. Have you ever done any work with Racelands, Matt, on 
the effect signal or lack thereof with bullet workouts specifically? Is there any way to parse that data? Yeah, there is. So that's, that's, there's a whole section on workouts where you can really get in depth on the, you know, obviously distance, whether it's a gate drill, like you can go through all different mm -hmm. kinds of scenarios. You can do a, a statistic where it shows like an average furlongs per day. That's like some of the stuff that I have showing a progression of workouts for, for a first time starter. Um, but I can look at that. So that's, I just made a note of that. That's the stuff that I love to dig into. So taking a look at, you know, bullet drills coming into a race at, at Woodbine specifically to see what those, what those success score, what the success is, and then start to drill into the charts and see if you can maybe see some patterns with trainers or, or, you know, kind of go from there. So, but you can definitely, there's a whole section on workouts that I've kind of scratched the surface on, but I have done a, a more and more as the years have gone, gone on. That's so cool. Workouts. That's so interesting. I didn't even realize that. We'll put in a plug. We might as well. We do have a promo code for folks interested to learn more about race lens. If you go to our pretty link in the moneypodcast.com slash race lens, if you are a new customer, you can get your first month for a dollar with the promo code in the money. And if you're a current customer, you can uh, come back or extend your plan and get a 40% off of any of the unlimited subscriptions. That's promo code in the money for zero. So for folks interested in doing the kind of deep dives that Matt is describing, and I know there's a bunch of you out there, go ahead and do that. Check it out and support our partners because when you do that, you support us. Let's talk about race number nine, gentlemen. We've got a $25,000 claimer going six and a half on the synthetic. Matt Fagvolgi, we'll throw the ball back in your court for this one. So two horses I'll use on the uh, on the A line here is the six uh, Master Spy, um, eight to one morning line. I don't know if you'll get that, but who knows? I think it's stock the pace. I think I think I don't necessarily see a fast pace here, but I think we'll we'll sit in a nice uh, in a nice spot behind the uh, pace setter who I do like, which is uh, which is the five. Um, I think we'll get the lead uh, hand carved um, again, another horse that's proven to get to the lead and, and get it done. It's tough to do that on the synthetic here route sprint, but this horse has done it a couple of times. So I do like that. And again, that's the five hand carved, uh, but the six master spy, I think it's sitting in a nice spot. Just like to give this horse another shot on the synthetic has run against much better as well. I think we'll find a softer spot here. Um, so again, I, I think, uh, I, I think uh, either one of those horses, I think closer to the uh, front end might get it done here. Um, and if you look at uh, on a trainer set on the six uh, for for Master Spy, um, you know Drexler's twenty nine percent out of sixty five starts off the claim, right? So that shows uh, intent on where to put these horses. So some confidence there uh, with this horse ending up here. So uh, six and five on the A line. I did, I did put the eight beyond borders as a B. I'm not in love with this horse. I hope this horse takes a ton of money and runs off the board, but. Uh, again, it's just one of those, like it fits, this horse fits in this race. Uh, you can't get around it. this horse. Definitely fits. Got some races in the past that will get it done here. I'm just not in love with the current form. Um, I'd like to go elsewhere, but uh, as of now, a uh, very, uh, very much of a cop out B of adding this horse in. But uh, I, I just think the horse beyond borders, the eight fits in this race. And uh, you know, with opinions elsewhere at bigger prices, like we've talked before. Um, I know the EV police might be circling my house right now, but uh, I would like to include that horse and not get beat with some uh, some higher prices surrounding around it. Got to be careful. Well, you don't want to you know you don't want to mess with those guys. Those black SUVs might be swirling around uh, the house there. <laughs> so, but I'm tucked back in the woods, Pete. Maybe it's protecting me. A you little should bit. be okay. You should yeah. be. They're not that tough. You'll be you'll you'll be all right. Beyond Borders does make plenty of sense. I mean, last time 
under these conditions did win by did win by four granted with what looked to be a pretty easy trip that one drew Cotney is two to one on the morning line are you with or against in woodlines line i'm against i'm against uh my my eye was drawn i mean just go look at the number two's overall figures uh earned four or five points higher the number two uh finusily uh sounds like an italian word of some sort um but at uh, four to one, the number two for me, I think drops into class today and we'll be able to press and save ground. And I think those two Drexler horses you mentioned, I'll be using as backups, the five and the six. I think those two may get in somewhat of set, set this up pretty much and, and go to the lead and, and really go hammer and tongs. We'll see. We'll see how fast they go and what the rider instructions will be. So, Number two, uh, Fenusili as a top choice for me, and I'll back up with the five and six, completely fading the number eight beyond borders. I, ju- I just don't see it. I, as, yeah, graduated out of the N2, N2L ranks and then comes here into the N3Ls, but uh, soft fractions, uh, lots of knocks. We can talk about it more, but I'm fading. Fair enough. Let's go to the nightcap. Two-year-old maidens. This time we're going seven furlongs on the turf, and if we're playing late picks, We'll ask you the key question, Drew. How are we going to get paid? Yeah, I love the number one Imperial star here. 20 to one, wide open event. Why not take that rail horse who's flashed speed and dropped anchor last time? The jockey and trainer together are three for 10 right now at the $4 ROI. It's not huge sample size, I'm aware, but they're showing some positive signs. And I don't think it's crazy that this horse takes to the grass, gets the lead and carries on with everyone trying to close. So the number one Imperial star at 20 to one, top choice for me. We'll also be using equally the number nine, Kaukakepu. Uh, I, I even looked this up, listened to it, tried to pronounce it. I'm glad you had to say it, Drew, because I listened to multiple replays and could not get that horse right. Kaukakepu, so. right? Isn't it Kaukakepu? Yes, it is. And it's a Finnish word meaning wanderlust or desiring other places that you're <laughs> I didn't go that far, but hey, good. Yeah, my pronunciation's terrible, but at least I can do some research. Uh, so I think the horse continues to uh, nibble at improvements and gets Lasix today. Not not a crazy result if this one wins. And then the one I mentioned earlier at the top of the show is the number seven mythical storm for Cassie. A big purchase price, has the workout on the turf under uh, her belt and comes out with Lasix and a strong gate drill to back that up as well, two back and husbands aboard. So this one could be pretty interesting. I'm excited to watch the number seven mythical storm, see if she'll take to grass as a two-year-old, but those are the three I'm using equally the, the one, the, uh, the nine and the seven for me. Definitely interesting to see Cassie put the Philly in against the boys here. He's been doing very well and making the right calls with his first time starter. So I, I don't think you can rule that one out. Matt, how do you see our nightcap? Oh, I would say similar to Drew, and uh, we're we're on the same uh, long shot here. I don't know if it's a good thing or a bad thing, but um, I just that's a pet angle of mine. I, I do love to see a horse that really just just fires hot fractions early, kind of just folds tent late and and just wraps up on the horse. But but what happens after? Right? Is the horse coming back in 180 days? No, this horse is coming back in 13 days. I think that's a vote of confidence to say, you know what. We got caught up on some speed. We finally got a turf race that we like here. Let's get this horse on the turf and let's send him from the inside. So I hope that's the instructions and I'm happy to lose by 50 lengths by going to the lead and, and doing the same. But I just, I want to, I want this horse to send. I think there's confidence coming back that quick. 
getting this horse on the, on the turf for the first time. And like Drew said, in a very wide open race. So um, I'm, I'm a fan of the one I did go towards, I did use the nine as well, which I'm not even going to try to pronounce. <laughs> um, I'm not, I'm going to uh, defer on that one again. It's just, it's, it's tough to find different places to go here. Cause it is a wide open race, but again, I think this horse is knocking on the door, probably going to get the softest field. This horse is run against, uh, again, I think should compete and should be close to the pace and uh, I think might get it done here. But, um, you know, again, it's going to be a much shorter price than what you've seen in this horse in the past, but a softer spot. So I, I think so the nine and one I'm going to use as A's. Um, I am going to back up with the four and the 11, uh, the four Elena, Elena. Uh, second time out again, similar showed speed faded a bit late, gets on the turf for the first time. Uh, certainly want to see that horse uh, get get to the turf. And then the 11, I thought, you know, a couple of good races, you know, uh, MJ sticks here uh, on uh, on the 11 uh, Fighting Irish. And a third star could be the charm. So that outside post, not great, but, um, you know, certainly want to see how this horse does. So I'm going to back up with the four of the 11, but uh, the nine and one are going to be A's uh, for me, Pete. You make a good point about the nine, Kauko Kaipu, and facing a weaker field. The, the way they do their maidens up in Woodbine, you'll see they run for a variety of different purses. This one, every one of the five starts for Kauko Kaipu has been at the 125,000 uh, purse level in here, 95,000. It's it's going to be a softer group just by logic. And, you know, you might see five starts, three seconds and say, oh, uh, does he really want to win, et cetera. I don't think that's fair. You know, when they when they drop, they tend to run to their numbers. And, and if uh, Kaipu, Kaipu does, definitely looks like a, a contender. So good stuff from the team on that one. Really appreciate your guys' time this morning. And, you know, we'll be back next week with a lot more from Woodbine. Thanks, team. Thank you. Next up on the show, very happy to be joined by a man we talked to in the early week shows, typically reviewing. We had a good chat about Del Mar and Saratoga. We've got some nice feedback on. But late week, he often comes on here to talk about Monmouth Park. He is Nick Tamaro. Nick, what's going on? Doing great, my friend. Glad to uh, be with you to talk on what's like, thankfully, a little bit slower weekend after the busy summer rush, but still plenty of, uh, plenty of fun action. Yeah, there's good stuff going on. I think in the intro to the show, I suggested that Dallas Baker might be here. He's spun us. I don't know what uh, what's more important than talking Monmouth Park with us, but he'll be back with us for, for next week. But he's leaving this analysis of the win early pick five in our capable hands, and it kicks off at 12.15 on Saturday at Monmouth Park with this two-year-old Philly maiden claimer going six furlongs on the dirt. Field of six goes postward. What numbers shall we have on our tickets to uh, kick off this win early pick five, Nick? You know, anybody who's been following these shows closely, and of course, I'm sure all of you have, you know that uh, Juan Avila has been not necessarily the most popular character around the, these parts for quite some time. And that has a lot to do with the fact that his outfit and some of his owners have, have done very well in the fixed odds market. And so La De Peluche, who's the five, is the morning line favorite at five to two. You're going to see uh, this Philly open in the fixed odds market under two to one sort of inviting in some of the potential action for uh, for people who do want to take up that approach. Uh, this is a relatively weak maiden claiming event. Lada Palusha's workouts look fine. Juan Avila's obviously been very good with first-time starters. He even had a winner up at Saratoga. Madeline's Grogu on the outside is the best of the experienced lot. Those seem like the right two in the pick five. Gun of Gold, if you have the uh, budgetary capability, would probably be the third choice. So I would keep it relatively simple and make it five, six as A's and three as a backup. You also have another Avila entry uh, in the two uh, Amalfi Lady 
who debuted against 25s and is now moving up in class. Not necessarily the most encouraging sign there. All right, let's uh, we'll get, kick that one off. Five and six on the A line, and we'll move to race number two, where we've got Jersey bred starter allowance types three and up going one mile on the turf. We got a fuller field here. Ten go to post. How uh, narrow can we get? Yeah, you know, the state bred races are interesting in that a lot of times they're not that competitive um, because you, you get Jersey breads of varying ability. And this looks like a situation where the five one time Willard is going to be virtually impossible to beat. This is going to be another runner that opens up in the fixed odds market under even money. John Stevens trainee did just about everything but win last time out. Did have a pretty soft trip setting a moderate pace before getting out gained a little bit late, but it looks as if he'll have pretty much the same scenario this time around. There's very little speed signed on. And I think that should allow Hiro Rendon, who really is the best turf jockey at Monmouth, in my opinion, having paid a little bit more attention this year. I think it'll give him the opportunity to, uh, to put this son of micromanage on the lead. I think that would make him awfully tough to handle. All right. The strong shout there. And if you're interested in more specifics, we don't have all the fixed odds, prices at the minute as we often do on these shows but if you go to monmouthbets.com if you're a jersey person you can bet right on there but even if you're not a jersey person and you want to get a little bit of signal about what the fixed odds market is doing as we get closer to these races and throughout the betting go ahead and go to monmouthbets.com and and take a look it can definitely inform when you're putting tickets together in bets like this win early pick five monmouthbets.com Let's move on to the hinge of this win early pick five. It's race number three, $25,000 maiden claimers, fillies and mares, three and up, six furlongs on the dirt. This is a spot where there's another heavy favorite on the morning line in the number four song saver. Nick, are you with or against? Yeah, you're not going to get a Penn National Invader uh, pretty heavily favored too often at Monmouth, but it does look like that scenario. And from a speed figure perspective, this daughter of Super Saver really is a standout. She's earned two buyer speed figures over 50 in her last two starts, including a, a win uh, back in uh, in early July from which she was disqualified for interference. This is a move up in class, no doubt about it. I mean, 25s at Penn National are a weaker lot than 25s at Monmouth. So we'll see if she can handle that jump. I wanted to try the two tilted tiara as a, as an alternative uh, coming in. Speaking of horses coming in from lesser circuits, this one from the Royal Meet at Timonium that just concluded last week. Um, she showed a great deal of speed last time out before weakening a bit late. That's six and a half furlongs around, I guess at least two turns perhaps more at the bull ring uh, in Timonium. So we'll see if she can get the lead and maybe forget to quit. Claudio Gonzalez's runners have had a very, very strong summer, and uh, the bug boy is on board here that might help get this one loose uh, in the opening stages and, and just might forget to quit. I actually thought the other interesting horse was the other uh, Kate DeMazi trainee, the seven rolling and control, and who looks like she just might be gradually improving and she could be the right alternative to the favorite. I'll make the favorite a backup and use the two and seven as ace. All right. I like the sound of that. Chance to maybe beat the favorite there as we move on to the last two races in the win early pick five. Next up, race four. We've got an allowance race for three and up fillies and mares going six furlongs on the dirt and a fairly short field with six runners going uh, postward. On the morning line, above par, two to one, Liberated Lady, five to two, suggests that they might be vying for favoritism. Where, or, what do you like in here? Yeah, it looks that way. Above par has gotten really good lately and seems to be 
going up the ranks class-wise in, in a pretty steady fashion for Gerald Bennett. This is a much tougher race, though. I mean, to talk about a, a two-other-than versus a starter allowance event, we're just talking about a totally different group of horses. That being said, I mean, speed figure-wise, she's really gotten better and continues to, and there's something to be said for that. Uh, Jerry Hollendorfer moving it liberated lady back to the dirt off a turf try last time out where she didn't perform badly by any means. I do think she's a candidate uh, for the, the top honors as well. Probably benefits a bit from drawing outside of above par who does probably want to do her best running on the lead. You also have trade secret who comes in off a claim for Phil Antonacci. This horse won a, uh, a $50,000 claimer at Saratoga last time out. So the connections were willing to reach in at a pretty high level and pace wise, that was a really strong pace. This horse stayed on all the way to the finish. I thought ran very well that day for Steve Asmussen. Tough guy to claim off of, but Antonacci is a trainer who's relatively new to the game, having, I believe, worked as an assistant for Wesley Ward, but looks like he's doing some pretty good work. I wouldn't sleep on that one. You might get Paco at a relatively decent price, too, for a filly that should be sitting just off the pace. I do think the principles are the three and four. I'll use them and I'll use the two as a backup. All right, makes sense. Let's move to our pay leg race number five, where we've got maiden claimers, $16,000 level on the turf, going a mile and a 16th, and a big full field signed on. How are we going to get paid? Yeah, you know, you have a, a few New York invaders, and obviously most of them are looking for softer spots after difficult Saratoga meets, and that includes the one for Bill Morey, a strike price who goes second off a layoff, and I think this is the softer spot that this horse has been in need of. The problem is he's really never run that well, you know, regardless of where it's been or what level it's been at. So I'm looking for him to improve to an extent second off the bench. We'll see if he can do that enough to be a factor here. I think the four dream astray is in many ways the horse to beat. New to the care of Darian Rodriguez, he does really well with trainer changes of all types. And I think that this horse will get the right kind of trip from just off the pace. There's enough speed in here to set things up. You have to respect Pivotal Run as well for George Weaver. This is one who actually won a maiden race over a year ago and was disqualified from that. It was during the NHC in 2021. And uh, there was a lot of consternation in the ballroom as this one got taken down for interference. Still looking for that elusive maiden win now some uh, six starts later. I think Dream Astray is kind of the hinge for me in the pick five in the last leg. He'll get the right trip. I'll use the one and five as backups. And I'm not really going to go too deep beyond that. It looks like a race where you could end up throwing a lot of good money after bed. <laughs> so the four on the top line and the one and the five to close things out in this win early pick five. Again, if you want more insight on the fixed odds prices, monmouthbets.com. Any closing thoughts from you, Nick, before we wrap this segment? No, just a couple of weeks left at Monmouth. They've got some uh, some nice stakes races these uh, last couple of weeks, and then racing will shift over for turf-only action at the Meadowlands. That now, now, now stakes one that I mentioned in the ad that I probably just read right. before this, that has, in the past couple of years, produced some runners for the Breeders' Cup Juvenile Turf, one to keep an eye on. And, yeah, the Meadowlands, hopefully, fingers crossed, we're going to be uh, offering a bunch of coverage of that meet more than we've ever done in the past. So fingers crossed on that, and we'll, we'll see how it shakes out as we get into this transitional time of year in New Jersey racing. And we thank our friends at Monmouth Park and the Betmakers for supporting us all year long. Nick, we'll see you very soon. Sounds great, my friend. Thank you. That's going to do it for this edition of the show. I want to thank all of today's guests for their contributions. We'll thank our founding partners, the Thoroughbred Retirement Foundation, the amazing work they do with humans and horses through the Second Chances Foundation. Please give generously to them at our link, trfinc.org players. Also, 10 Strike Racing 
got to hang out with Marshall and Clay and a lot of the 10 strike partners this summer. And around here, we always like to root for the purple and black. Most of all, though, want to thank all of you for listening, making these shows so much fun to do or viewing. If you're watching on YouTube, we appreciate that as well. This show has been a production of In The Money Media. Our business manager is Drew Coatney. Our chief creative officers, Jonathan Kinchin, got to throw in a quick shout out to producer Craig for shooting all the right buttons. Not really shooting all the right buttons, pushing all the right buttons. It's probably a better way to say that. I'm Peter Thomas Fornatel. May you win all your photos. <laughs>